0: All the brave ones, you made it through the storm. We are grateful that you're here. For those who were not brave enough, but you tuned in online, we applaud your courage. Uh, for those listening from uh, we had people listening in from Haiti last night and uh, from all all over. It's the, the benefit of being able to be on YouTube, and we're glad that you're, uh, that you're with us. for those listening later on during the week listening on our podcast. We are grateful for that as well. I'm glad you're just taking some time to put his word into your heart. Uh, and as I prayed earlier, just that thought that it wouldn't just be something we do on a weekly occasion that, yeah, I put in my time and I'm done, but that it would profoundly affect our lives. And so uh, we've been in a series. Uh, we started in November and we took some time off over Christmas, but we're on part seven of a series. I didn't think it would take this many parts, but I'm amazed that uh, as I've studied scripture, the more, that we, the more that we learn, the more you realize there's so much more to learn. That it doesn't matter how often I go through it. I'm like, "Man, the armor of God, maybe I looked back, and in the past I've done the whole armor of God in one week. I was like, "How did we do that? Uh, just looking at it now is just it's so, so beautiful. Uh, and so last week we talked about the idea of faith, about having a confident trust in your heavenly Father. No matter what. I love the words of that song, you know, no matter what, I'm going to be the, 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 in the uh, 10,000 reasons, just that, that there's so many reasons to find, and that on that day, no matter when my time comes, man, I want to be the one worshiping for eternity, or the, the, even that, that first verse, where it says, "You know, when, when evening comes, I still want to be the one still singing. And uh, that's our hope. Uh, and the, uh, after last week, had some interesting conversations with people this weekend. I uh, went to visit a friend of mine, shared a number of times, our friend Paul, is he's in the hospice in Brantford, and I go and see him. Uh, I try to see him at least once a week, sometimes um, more often. But this week, uh, I had an interesting, unique experience. When I went to visit him this week, there was someone else sitting in the room, and uh, as, as I got in there, he didn't, re- he didn't realize that I was coming to visit Paul. He was there visiting him as I walked in. He thought maybe I was one of the staff or whatever, and so he introduced, he introduced himself to me, and I, I introduced myself to him, and he told me the relationship to Paul, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm Paul's pastor, and he said this to me right away. He says, oh, he says, are you going to get him into heaven? And I'm like, no, but, but, but Jesus is. But that question didn't leave my mind. Because here's somebody who just asks, simply asks a question that, it's a fantastic question to ask. It really is. It's one of those things that automatically assumes that there's a belief that there is life after this life. You don't ask about, hey, how are you gonna, how's someone going to get into heaven if you don't think there is something after this life? It seems like that's hardwired in people. And the thought that you know the, there's, somebody's got to do something to get someone in is another part of it. And I, I wonder, I, I don't think that he'd be the only person to ever ask that question. It seems like we have it wired in us, this thought that there's got to be more to this life than just this life. Uh, my... Uh, every once in a while, I get to drive my wife's van, and we, put a, we have songs on the radio, or on the, on the, um, saved on the radio in there so we can listen to them. There are a playlist. It's like 300 songs. Every once in a while, I get to listen to like three or four. And I used to hide some in there so that there would be some dad songs mixed in with all the other ones. And there's a song uh, by Coldplay that I put in there years ago, and I heard it again this week. And it's the lyrics in uh, the Viva La Vida. It says, For some reason I can't explain, I know St. Peter won't call my name. And just, just they, they just stuck in my head for a little bit. For some reason, I can't explain. I know St. Peter won't call my name. And, I, and it's not that he's saying, oh, there's St. Peter at the gate. But it's that poetic thought. The poetic thought of like, I'm not sure. You know, if there's an eternity, I think there is. But I'm not sure I'm getting in. And I wonder how many people feel that way. I wonder how many. Maybe you're here and you're like, no, I'm pretty confident. I know what's going to happen to me. I know, that, that I'm, I know where I'm going. I know there's a heaven. I know I'm going there. But what about the people around you? How many people do we have around us in our life that wonder about eternity? Is there life after this life? If not, if there's, no, if there's no life after this life, then whatever we really do in this life doesn't really matter, does it? If there's no life after this life, you guys are just all wasting your time. You like, you like took your lives in your own hands as you traveled those treacherous roads this morning to come to a completely pointless and meaningless gathering. But I believe that some of you are here because you believe there's more to this life then this life. And we want to talk about that this morning. Uh, we've been talking about a real person named Paul. Paul uh, was in a prison cell. Uh, something like this, that flower, for the, many of you have noticed. Uh, the Apostle Paul planted that when he was there, and to this day, it, it lives. Uh, I don't know why it's there. People were asking, why is the flower there? It's just there. But this, this is a Roman prison cell. Uh, and it's obviously taken in modern times, but this, this would be a place that Paul may have been sitting. And as he sat in that place, he wrote letters um, to the different uh, groups of Jesus followers all around the Roman Empire. And we think that this portion of, of, of his letter, he didn't know he was writing the Bible at that point. He was just writing a letter to some people, but it was so valuable to the Jesus followers that they copied it, sent it to different places where it was translated. People gave their lives for us to have it in English, but this incredible letter, uh, you know, inspired by probably some of the Roman guards sitting just outside his cell, as he saw their full armor, he would say, "Hey, let me, let me use that to paint a picture for Jesus' followers." And so the Jesus followers in this room this morning this is for you, Ephesians 6 verse 10. So we read it again, a final word, which simply means, "From now on, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on. Put on, like clothes, all of God's armor, so you'll be able to, what are those words? Stand firm. firm. Today is going to be audience participation Sunday. What are those words? Stand firm. Stand firm, because that's the point. Can you picture Paul writing this to you? Hey, Kingsway Church, you meeting together in Balmoral, would you make sure that you put on the armor of God so that you can stand firm against the strategies of the devil? Why? Because we, him and we, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. You're not fighting against your, you know, your ex-wife, your mother-in-law, your kids, your parents. It's not people. He says, there is evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. There's mighty powers in this dark world. There's evil spirits in heavenly places. He says, the enemies you have are much darker, much more sinister. And as a result, verse 13, he says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Just remember that word resist. We'll come back to it. Then after the battle, you'll be what? It's audience participation Sunday. Standing firm. firm. I know some of you are like, we don't do that here. Well, today we do. Uh, You'll be standing firm. Why? Because this was Paul's point. You know, we can do this in one week and it's gone. You're like, yeah, you said this last week. And I know, and I'll probably say it next week too, because this was the point. The idea that we would be standing firm. And if we didn't get it yet, starts verse 14 by saying this. Stand your ground. Stand firm, stand firm, stand your ground. Put on the belt of truth. Why? Because your enemy's a liar. You're going to need to have truth. Put on the body armor of God's righteousness, not your own, because you're not righteous on your own, but realize that in him, you are righteous and you're going to need that because the enemy's going to keep telling you that you're not right with God. But if you put your faith and your trust in Christ, you are right with him because of what he's done. Man, that's something to celebrate. He says, for shoes, put on peace. It comes from the good news. So that you'll be fully prepared. And we talked about last week. When you've got that firm stance on the gospel. It puts peace in your heart like no other. And he says, he says, you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up that shield of faith, that confident trust in your God. It'll stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And verse 17, the final verse. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and we just want to focus on the first one this morning that this idea of salvation as a helmet the helmet of salvation paul's writing to believers he's saying to them from now on, I want you to put put on the helmet of salvation. And he uses this word salvation. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm already saved. You know, that happened way back when. But he uses this word, this Greek word. So we're going to have a little Greek lesson this morning. The Greek word is soterios. It means, it's an adjective meaning, simply meaning saving or bringing salvation. So put on the saving helmet or the the helmet that brings salvation. And there's people who teach on this and say, oh, the helmet's what protects your mind and the, the breastplate protects your heart. And then they stop because it doesn't make any sense after. That the belt protects your waist. Good thing. Truth is protecting. It doesn't make sense. All of it protects your mind. Truth protects your mind. You know, faith protects your mind. Righteousness is all meant to protect your mind. So he says the idea of this helmet of salvation. It's part of that thing that protects your mind. Uh, it reminded me when I was studying these Greek words. It reminded me of my first date with Beth. Our first date, she asked me out. It was a trick date. I was actually going out with her and all of the girls from her dorm. It was supposed to be me and eight women, so I'm like, yes, we'll go. And then I got there, and it was just Beth and myself, and uh, we were just friends, and she's like, well, none of the others want to go. Do you still want to go? I was like, yeah, okay. So we went to the movies, and we saw My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and we saw this fella right here. Anybody remember Gus? Gus, the Windex Man, if you... Even if you're a kid, you need to watch this movie. It's phenomenal. But Gus, from the, he has this famous thing that every word comes from, from the Greek. Every word comes from a Greek word. So I'm about to offend all the Greeks, but... What I realized is that, you know, he'd say, you know, whatever, whatever word you can think of in English, it has a Greek meaning. What I realized is that all the Greek words come from other Greek words. So as I began reading this, I saw soterios and realized that soterios meaning, um, saving and bringing salvation comes from the word soteria, which means Present, deliverance, safety, future, salvation. And that word, when you look it up, comes from this word called soter, which means savior, deliverer. It's another noun. It's the person. And then that word actually comes from this word, which is called sozo, which means to save, to keep safe, to heal, to make whole, to rescue from danger, to save from the penalty of judgment. So when he says put on this helmet of salvation, all of that is wrapped up in this. Putting on the helmet of salvation, the person, the savior, deliverer, the, the, the healing, the wholeness, the peace, the freedom, all the, the, the past salvation, the present salvation, the future salvation. He says, put that on. And so we, uh, as I was preparing for this, realized that Paul's saying, this is not just salvation that you put on one time. He says, from now on, put that on. So this morning, as we go through today, Every time I say from now on, would you say put that on? So stir up your stir up your most manly voice even if you're women because it just sounds better, right? So from now on, put that on. Yeah, from now on, put that on. Some of you just like, I'm not doing this. From now on, put that on. Put that on. I had the same conversation with my kids about their winter coats because they think that during winter, you, it clothing, it, coats or whatever, it's optional. Be, uh, Beth gets to park in the garage now, so when they leave the house, they're just like, oh, it's warm enough in the garage. Let's, we're good to go. And so they, the other night, uh, it happens far too often. So the other night, we're gonna take the two boys out for dinner and as we getting going out to the van, there they are and no coats. I'm like, where's your coat? Dad, we don't need coats. We're not cold. I'm like, yet? It's freezing out there and you're gonna have to walk across the parking lot. It's going to be cold. And I said, you know what? It's winter. So from now on, put that on. Yes, that's right. And you can tell them too. Remind them. If, if it's snowing out, you need to have your winter coat. Until winter's over, you have to wear your winter coat. And so then we went out for dinner. As we're walking across the parking lot, Max says to me, he's like, wow, dad, it really is cold out here. And I was like, yeah, see? And I'm thinking he's going to be thanking me. He's like, dad, I'm so glad I remembered to put on my winter coat. I'm like, yeah, I'm so glad you remembered as well, right? But I thought about that. I thought Paul probably has that same thought for Jesus followers and believers, that, that same thought that uh, I'm so glad that they remember. Whether they give me credit for it, for it or not, I'm so glad that they remembered to put this helmet of salvation, that from now on, put on. they'd put that on. For those who are watching the baby and missed the cue, from now on, put that on. amen. All right, salvation, is more than just about eternity. The idea of this thought of, from now on, put that on. He says, that's not just something you said a sinner's prayer once. For some, that's what your Christianity is. He's like, are you a Christian? Yeah, I said a sinner's prayer back when I was a kid. You know, maybe it's through Billy Graham or whatever, but then that's kind of where it stopped. Or you had, my parents baptized me as a child, so yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Or I did a profession of faith. or There was some commitment made, and that's kind of where it stopped. And Paul's saying, that's not what this battle's all about. That's not what this life is all about. He's saying the idea is that, yeah, maybe it started back there, but it's this continual thing of realizing you're still in a battle and you need to be wearing a helmet of salvation. You need to have salvation on and on your mind all the time. Why? Because we're still in a battle. That's the reality. And as we saw that word, he said the word is simply resist. Resist. Jesus didn't tell people, and Paul didn't tell people, hey, you've got to rebuke the devil. He didn't tell them, you've got to conquer the devil or conquer the enemy. He didn't say any of that kind of stuff. He just simply says, resist. Why does he say that? Because the conquering's already done. He's like, I took you out of the clay, set you on the rock. I saved you, now stand there. And when the enemy comes whispering in your ear with his darts of doubt, oh, it didn't really take. I don't think you're really saved. Look at you, you still screw up. You know what? (laughs) Why don't you just give up? Is it really true? And all these things that he tries to like push you off of this. He's like, no, I'm gonna resist. I know that what Christ did for me, I put my trust in that 100%. Or maybe he tries to tempt you off and draw you off to just give up this battle. Paul's saying, from now on, put that on, put that on. You know, you, the idea is this battle, we, we see the battle from the victory point, that it's already won. Do you see the battle from the victory point? We sing that song here, Greater Things. I've seen this fight from the victory. We sing a lot of things we don't actually believe I realize that, and I think it's great that we sing it because I hope that that truth comes in. It's like, you know what? Yes, I've seen this battle from the victory. It's like seeing the end of a movie. The other day, I don't know why, Beth's in this message a lot today, but she thought it was a good idea to show our kid Soul Surfer, the, the story, the movie where uh, Bethany Hamilton gets attacked by a shark and it bites off her arm. And uh, as we're watching that with our kids, uh, they just have, like that scary eye. Like, and for me, I'm like, you know, it's, it was, it's scary and creepy the first time you watch it, but later on you realize, well, you know, the shark gets killed and Bethany Hamilton becomes a pro surfer. And if you haven't watched the movie, that's pretty much it. So uh, this, is, this is a thought. Anytime you watch any kind of scary movie or any kind of movie, you realize in the end, oh, the bad guy dies. It makes the movie a whole lot easier to watch. It's not as, it's not as scary. It's not as painful. It's not as whatever. And that's the same thought with this. For those of you who are studying Revelation, do you realize that in the end, the enemy dies? That if you read Revelation, you realize you'll have the point to see that, the, that our enemy, the devil, he loses. He's already lost. I put my kids to bed this week, and uh, Max. <laughs> at bedtime, I think their mission, my mission is get them in bed. Their mission is make that take as long as possible. So they ask these really pertinent life-altering um, questions at that time. I think they just store them up. But... He's asked me this question and we had this conversation. I thought, man, we've, we've accomplished it. It's good to go to sleep and go to bed. And, and then uh, all of a sudden, you know, Beth walks in and, and uh, Max asks her, she's like, hey, um, mom, why doesn't God just like smash Satan into a gazillion itty bitty pieces? He's so powerful. Why is not he just smash Satan into a bazillion, gazillion, gazillion itty bitty pieces? And Beth's genius. She's like, well, why don't you ask the pastor? <laughs> and <laughs> he, hes we just finished this conversation. He's like, I already did. And he told me that God's going to do that in the end, in the end of time. So mom, when is the end of time? Is that tomorrow? You know, or is it, he's like, I think I know it's January 1st at 12 PM of next year, he says. And we just said, Max, we're not going to guess, but what we can say is that's then, and, and then it's going to happen. It's promised it's going to happen, the end, but that's not yet. That's not yet. And I think that's something that we need to, to realize as well, that that's going to happen, but, but that's, not, that's not yet. And so in the meantime, Paul's saying, from now on put, on, put that on. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote it this way. He wrote, so humble yourselves or submit yourselves to God Resist the devil. There it is again. That resist the devil and he's gotta flee from you. See, the thing isn't just that Jesus won the victory, he wants you to win it as well. That when the enemy comes after you, it's like that simple resisting because I'm standing on something greater than myself. And he's gotta flee. He's gotta flee. It's what James said. But he says it's this idea of you gotta submit to God's way first. You gotta submit to the idea that his salvation is what you're standing on, not yours. That as you submit to what he's done in your life, you can resist the enemy and he's got to flee. Revelation 12 verse 10 describes our enemy as the accuser of the brethren. And maybe that's what you have. As you're in that spot, he tosses those little things in. Hey, you think, you think you're standing, but don't you remember You know, last summer? Don't you remember last month? Don't you remember last week? Don't you remember this morning? And those thoughts of where you missed it, you failed. He's always tossing these thoughts, these ac- accusatory thoughts into our minds. The idea that Paul is saying, put on the armor, because it's the one who's left standing in the end is the one who wins. He's like, you're already on there, so just stay standing. The one who's standing firm wins. I love this old, old quote that said, the next time that the devil reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. The next time that the devil reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future. I think it was Carmen who said that, for those who remember him. I'm getting too old for this job, I think. (laughs) The devil, he knows. He knows that he no longer has authority over believers. He knows that. But he also knows that most believers don't know that. He knows he has no authority over believers, but he also knows that most believers don't know that. And what you don't know, he will use against you. He doesn't fight fair. He'll use things against you that just simply because you don't know. And I think that's why Jesus said, you need to know the truth. Because truth will set you free. If you don't know the truth, it can't set you free. So do you know the truth about salvation? Or are you in that spot where it's like back and forth, waffling and wondering, where the enemy has, has got strongholds in your mind about whether you're saved or not saved and all those things? You have questions about it? Do you have people around you that have questions about it? Lots of people had questions about it when Jesus walked those dusty roads of Jerusalem. They'd ask him about salvation. Jesus, what do you think as a teacher? How do we get into heaven? Um, Tells the stories of, for instance, Nicodemus' teacher who came to Jesus at night. And Jesus said to him those famous words, Nicodemus, he says, you got to be born again. He's like, how do we inherit eternal life? He's like, you got to be born again. And he asked, well, how do I get back into my mother's womb? And she's like, you're taking this this the wrong way. He's like, you need to come alive on the inside, and only God does that. People give birth to people, but God gives birth to something on the inside of you, where you come alive on the inside. Nicodemus, are you alive on the inside? He's like, "I, I I don't get it. He's like, how is this possible? And, and, and as Jesus began to tell him about heaven, how about heaven, he's like, how do you know these things about, about heaven and all of this relationship to God and how to get eternal life? And here's Jesus' words to him, John 3, verse 10. Jesus replied to him said, Nicodemus, you're a respected Jewish teacher, yet you don't understand these things? He's like, if anybody should know, you should know, but you don't? He's like, I assure you, we tell you, and he says, We, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we tell you what we know and what we've seen, yet you don't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? He says, verse 13, no one's ever gone to heaven in return, but Nicodemus, the Son of Man, came down from heaven. He says, I'm how do I know these things? Because I've been there. That's where I came from. What I'm telling you. I'm not guessing. I'm not making something up. I'm not like, oh, I think this is the way to to heaven. He's like, I've been there. I'm telling you the truth. He says this, verse 14, as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the son of man, myself, I'm going to be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Nicodemus, everyone who believes in me is going to have eternal life. Is going to have this thing called salvation. At the end of Jesus' life, even his disciples who had been around, the guy who wrote that story about Nicodemus, John, the ones who had been there, they're all asking him, Jesus, they think he's the savior. And he says, fellas, I'm about to leave. I'm going and you can't follow me. Where I'm going, you can't go. And they're, they're all upset. They're like, what do you mean? We were just, it was just getting good. And here's Jesus' explanation to them. John 14, verse one, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. There's that word, that word for faith. Have a confident trust in God. And he says, and so also trust in me. There's more than enough room where? My father's home. That's where I'm going. This place, this idea of heaven. He says, there's enough room for there. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? He's like, I'm telling you the truth. When everything is ready, I'm going to come and get you. So you'll always be with me where I am. Because this is a place. He says, verse 4. And you know the way to where I'm going. And they stop him. Thomas is like, no. We don't know, Lord. What do you mean we know? We don't know the way. How are we supposed to know the way? We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? What a great question. I think that's what was at the basis of that question in that room that day. (laughs) You going to get them into heaven? How, How do we know the way? How do we get there? And there's people who may not have the courage to voice that, but I guarantee you there's people in your life who wonder that. How do I get there? Jesus told them, I'm the way. That's a great question. How do you get there? The answer is me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. I mean, with lots of people who think, oh, there's lots of ways to God. God came himself and said, there's no other way. There is no other way. It's him alone. Will you trust his way only? His way only. It's through him, not through good works, not through religion, not through tradition, not through church attendance, not through baptism, not through infant baptism, not through any of it, just through him. You know, he began to say things that just drove them crazy. Chapter later, John fifteen verse thirteen, he says, "Fellas, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends." And they're like, "Jesus, here you go again, talking about laying your life down." And Mark wrote it, Mark ten forty-five. Jesus said, "For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and what to give his life as a ransom for many." The ransom is that price of freedom. To pay for slaves, to pay for captives, to liberate from the misery and penalty of sin. That's what they understood this word to mean. And it seems so strange to them. As they follow Jesus around, they're like, our Savior's going to die? How's he going to do anything for us to help us if he's dead? How is he going to help us? Saved, Saved from the penalty of sin? I want him to save us from Rome. I want him to save us on the outside. He keeps talking about saving me on the inside. How can he save me from me? How can he save me from me? You know, as they watched, they watched his words come true just, just hours later, as they watched him die on a cross, as they listened from afar, some of them, as he uttered these words, it is finished. It is finished. They had no idea what he meant. His life was finished. Their dream was finished. Maybe we're all finished. If they come after us, they've just got him. What if they come after us? But the words that he said, the Greek word for it is finished is the word To telestai it's a cool word to have as a tattoo if you're interested. There's many people who've done it. Because to tetelestai simply means it is finished. But what it is finished, actually, this word, was what they would stamp on a bill once it had been fully paid. You had a debt, they would stamp to It means it's paid in full. As he shouted with his last breath, it is finished. Sin's been paid for in full. The sin of the world paid for in full. Salvation is finished. It is finished. There's salvation for everyone because it is is finished. Man, that seems so strange to them, but it seems strange to people today. A number of years ago, I met with an atheist and we were having conversations. I think we were both trying to convert each other. And uh, well, he didn't win, but I didn't either. But some interesting things happened in that conversation. There was one sentence that stuck with me. He asked me this question. He's like, Mark, seriously, think about this for a minute. What does an ancient human sacrifice in a desert on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago have anything to do with us? I was like, huh, what does an ancient sacrifice in a desert 2,000 years ago, 6,000 miles away, have to do with us today? Today, I know it's everything. Everything. Why? Because there's been millions of human and animal sacrifices throughout history. But this is the only one who rose from the dead. This is the only one that rose from the dead. As I say that, I see your thoughts like, uh, have you ever thought lately about how um, incredible it is that someone was raised from the dead with no modern medical technology? It's incredible. The other day as I was driving, I saw a dead cat on the side of the road. Um, I know, I'm sorry, cat people. If it was a dog, I would have said a dog, but it was a cat. You know, I thought about that. How, how? What would I do if I saw that cat three days later meowing at my door? I, yes, I would freak out. I would drive to the road, make sure it's the same cat. As these disciples, like, that's the same guy. That's the guy we saw die. That's the guy in the tomb. That's the guy making breakfast for us on the beach. What? Mind blown. Mind blown. No wonder they wrote what they wrote. No wonder they were all trying to write. <laughs> Do you remember, remember what he said way back when? Yeah, write that down, write that down. Why? Mind blown. It wasn't some people sitting around a room. Let's, hey, let's come up with a new religion. Matthew, why don't you write the first one? Mark, you take the second. Luke, just, just say some stuff about what we said, and then, you know, we'll, we'll start a new religion. We could probably collect a lot of money. Something miraculous happened. Something that changed their lives and the lives of the rest of the world. A man rose from the dead. Peter, an eyewitness of that resurrection. He began preaching in the streets a few days later. He just began telling everybody, man. I, I would do the same thing about a cat. Man, I saw a dead cat. And it was meow. And you guys were like, he's crazy. But he's like, man, I saw a dead guy raised from the dead. God has done something for the planet. Luke wrote about it and said this in Acts chapter 4, verse 10. He said, this is what Peter's message was after they had seen a man healed. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all people of Israel that this man was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name like his. He says, this man that you crucified, you're the ones who crucified him. God raised him from the dead. And Jesus is the one that scripture was telling us about. We, He's, like, he's the one where it says the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. In verse 12, there is salvation. There is this salvation. He says, in no one else. God's given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There he uses it again. That word of that salvation. That all-encompassing past, present, and future salvation for our souls. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, they were confused as well. And he said this, for the message of the cross... That a sacrifice 2,000 years ago in a desert 6,000 miles away, that seems that that could affect my life today. He says that, that message is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, man, it's the power of God. I know it on the inside that it is changing our lives. And as they said, you know, Paul, Peter, saved, saved from what? Saved from that thing called sin, from the thing that affects every single one of us. See, I always get this bad rap for for being judgmental. It's like, oh, Christians want to point their fingers at other people for their sin. None of us have a right to point at any other person for sin. Because we all have it. Show of hands? Affected by sin? You better raise your hand for this one. I'm not participating. We all have it. It'd be like the inmates on death row all pointing fingers at the other, saying, you know, he's more guilty than me. We're all in the same spot. We're all in the same spot. All guilty. For those who won't think, yeah, I don't think, you know, man, somebody invited me to church. It's kind of my New Year's resolution to check it out. I don't really believe all this stuff that you're talking. Sin, like, it's kind of like a foreign, like, old religious word. If that's you this morning, I just simply ask you to ask yourself an honest question. Is there things inside of you that you look at and go, huh, I, I don't know why I let myself down. I, I can't even keep my own rules. Uh, there's times where I'm like, man, I should have done that. Or, oh, I shouldn't have done that again. Or for you, if you chalk it up and say, you know what, I'm just human. We all make mistakes. Have you ever made any mistakes that you like you planned in advance to make it? You, you went places to make another mistake. You went online with someone else to make a mistake. Those aren't mistakes. They speak to something way deeper inside of us. It's broken. And there's no escaping from me. There's no escaping from the brokenness without someone rescuing us. But the good news is this morning that God sent a rescuer, a savior, salvation for us. That we would be saved from this thing called sin. This thing that wrecks everything in us. Here's three thoughts for you real quick. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. Paul wrote to the Corinthians said, God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for my sin. So that I could be made right with God through Christ. Not on my own merit, but through him. I've been saved from that penalty, that judgment of sin. That is enough to celebrate. I feel like dancing now. I really do. Because I know me. I know me. Man, I'm grateful for that. I could sing of your love forever. Save from the power of sin. See, because it's not just the past, it's the present. See, what most of Christians don't realize is sin's no longer your master. Sin is no longer your master. Paul wrote to the Romans and said, sin's no longer your master. You no longer live under the requirements of law. Instead, you live, live under the freedom of God's grace. Yeah, well, it feels like my master. I know, but that's a doubt dart in your mind. You've been set free, Stand. You've been set free. You didn't get free on your own. He set you free. Now just resist. That same temptation comes back. Just resist. That's not your master. Just kick him in the teeth. He's got to go. But if you don't know, oh, he'll get you every time. Saved from the power of sin, last saved from the presence of sin. This is an amazing promise. Revelation 21, sorry to spoiler alert, but you'll get there in a year. Revelation 21, verse 4, he says, he'll, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll be what? No more death. Why? Because sin brought death. No more sin. There's no more death. There's no more sorrow, because that comes from sin. There's no more crying, because that comes from sin. There's no more pain, because that comes from sin. All these things are gone forever. Man, I'm grateful for salvation, grateful for salvation. Matthew, as I leave you with this, Matthew's eyewitness story tells about how it happened for him, his perspective, how it all became real for him. Matthew 9, he's actually writing these words. He writes this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew, a.k.a. me, sitting at my tax collector's booth. What did he simply say? Come follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Matthew's writing this. (laughs) My buddies, the disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw it, they asked the disciples, Hey, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I overheard them. That's what they said. When Jesus heard this, though, he said to them, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. We all looked at him like, Jesus, what are you, you calling us sick? And Jesus simply says, Matthew, come on now, you just wrote. You're a bunch of disreputable sinners. You know you're sick. Yeah, you're right. We're sick. He added, now go learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy and not after sacrifices. We'll talk about that some other day. But he says this, for I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. That's who he came to save. Not those who think they're righteous. Not those who think they're good enough on their own. Not those who think they're going to work their way in some way. But to those who simply say, you know what? I'm hopeless and helplessly trapped. I am broken on the inside and I'll admit it. I know I need help. And I know I'm not the answer. I need a different answer. And Jesus, if you're it, I'll take it. Those who know they need a savior. I love how Paul said to the Romans, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. What is it? Whoever calls on him. It doesn't matter what the past looks like. It doesn't matter how you think your future is going to go. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. There is salvation. There is freedom. There is peace. There is wholeness for those who know they need it. For those of you this morning who are Jesus followers. And you've put your trust in him. Man, that's great news. But who around you needs to know that news? Who around you needs to know that news? That's why I think Paul said, from now on. For those who are yawning and missed it, from now on, on. you've made what I see up here. From now on, on, put that on. That miracle of salvation, not about good works, but the fact that we've been brought from death to life. See, the second that we put our faith in Christ, we enter eternal life. Because whether we die on this planet, we live for eternity. Why? Because eternal life just entered us. Eternal life entered us. So it is about the future. But it's also about now. So from now on, put that on. Last thought. I have three minutes, so we'll do it quick. Probably one of the most important thoughts this morning. The idea of having this thing on the mind is that we would have eternity on our mind. So I studied for this. I had asked that question. How much of my day do I actually think about eternity? How much of what I do do I ever think about how does this affect eternity? Most of what I do, most of what I think about, it affects here and now. Yesterday, as I was prepping, I got a phone call from a lady. Um, she called me and she just uh, she said, "Mark, um, I just found out from the doctors this week that I have terminal liver cancer. Uh, I'm not I'm not going to beat it." They said, "They've got treatment options that they think are going to delay it, but I'm not going to beat it." And as I listened to her, she talked for the next forty five minutes, and I listened. And I was just blown away. She says, Mark, they told me, the doctors say, I have no control. And you know what? I also have no fear. I have such a peace. I know where I'm going. I'm going to go see my daughter and I can't wait. She says, but I'm going to fight. And the only peace I don't have right now is that I know my son isn't serving the Lord yet. She says, that's the only peace I don't have. So, so I'm not afraid. I'm going to fight this fight. I'm going to live as long as every day that he gives me. But my trust is in him that when my time is over, man, I'm just moving, moving to that place where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness. And I just listened to her for 45 minutes share this out. What an incredible thing. Why? Because when you come to the end of your life, <laughs> are you going to be left standing? She said, yeah, this wasn't the news, I hoped, but it's not taking me out. And it reminded me of this illustration. I'll leave you with this. Francis Chan shared it. Maybe you've seen it before. But he says, take something like this and consider this cord or this rope to be your life. And just picture that as that had an end. Just picture that that just carries on and on and on forever. He says, that is your life. It goes on and on and on forever. And now I want you to picture this part of your life right here. This is life on earth. This little piece right here. We're born. We live a number of years Finally, we start planning what we're going to do for this life right here on earth. And we live that life planning for this last little little bit, the golden years. Hopefully, we made enough money and made enough right choices so we can enjoy these final years of our life right here. And he says, and then we're done. What did we do in this part here? What we do in this part here matters for the rest of eternity. Why do we spend so much time thinking about how what we do here affects what happens right here? Rather than what we do here, affecting everything from here on out. That is a convicting thought. It sure was for me. It sure was for me. And maybe it is for you. That thought that if it doesn't really have eternal significance, does it really matter at all? Sure, there's stuff in life that matters. But are we spending more of our time on the stuff that doesn't matter for eternity And have we been lulled into this thought of not spending any time on the stuff that matters so much for eternity? Including this thing called salvation. And I think that's why he says, you got to have salvation on your mind. You got to have it on your mind all throughout this. Why? Because it matters. Just not just for you. It matters for all the people around you. So from now on. From now on. From now on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Holy Spirit, help us. If we study Your Word; it's so easy just to walk away from this and go about regular life. Lord, thank You for Your voice on the inside that draws us to what really matters, it draws us to truth, and draws us to life. Ah, uh, Jesus! Again, we just thank You. We thank You for salvation, the fact that we even have it. What a gift! What a gift. I just pray for every person in this room, Lord, you you know exactly where they're at. Whether they're fooling people or fooling themselves, you know where each of us is at. So God, I, I would just ask as we leave this place that our hearts and minds would remain open to your voice. For those who are just wondering about salvation, God, I just pray that as you draw them to yourself, they would embrace this gift that you've given us. Lord, as we walk through our days, as we encounter people who wonder, who have this, that, that eternity in their heart, that unknown, would you give us the words to say? Would you give us the courage to say it? Would you give us the opportunities <laughs> to see eternal lives, their destiny changed? Lord, may you get glory and credit for every single one as we live this life with you and for you and in your name. I love you. Amen.